so I guess this will be one of our React episodes. So who do we got here? We got myself, Mike, he, him. We got Nick, he, him. We got Steve, he, him. And we got Blue Collar Kami, he, him. And we're going to read through tonight. This was the, what is it? The Ministry of Foreign Affairs of the People's Republic of China. And this was uh, the State of Democracy in the United States 2022. And this was a pretty good one, right? Like, I didn't even read through it. I just, like, started reading, like, the preamble and the intro. And I was like, oh, this is going to be fucking spicy. I'm going to have to, like, make an episode out of this, right? Yep. I'm telling you, we're just waiting for the uh, the G-Bucks since we're <clears throat> continuing to propagate the good word from the uh, MFA here. So, yeah. But we'll continue I mean, to do it for free, even if they aren't forthcoming. <clears throat> yeah, it was, it's funny enough. I was actually saying in my, like, um, just personal group chat of, like, some friends from high school that I've been, like, trying my hardest to join whatever the Chinese equivalent of the CIA is. And, like, no luck so far. So, I don't know. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm here. <clears throat> All right, so they divided in a bunch of parts. They got the preamble, American democracy in chronic ills, American democracy in further decline, political polarization intensified by partisan fights, money politics surged, freedom of speech in name only, the judicial system blind to public opinion, Americans increasingly disillusioned with American democracy, the United States imposition of democracy has caused chaos around the world, foreign policy held hostage by political polarization, inciting confrontation and conflict in the name of democracy, doubling down on unilateral sanctions, undermining democracy in international relations, foisting a trumped-up narrative of, quote, democracy versus authoritarianism, which will is a nice callback from the other thing we talked about. Yep. And their conclusion. Right, so just jump right in. We'll get started with the preamble. And everybody, just uh, put a hand up or interrupt me whenever you want to make a comment. But so they start off. In 2022, the vicious cycle of democratic pretensions, dysfunctional politics, and a divided society continued in the United States. Problems such as money politics, identity politics, social rifts, and the gulf between the rich and poor worsened. The maladies afflicting American, American democracy deeply infected the cells of U.S. politics and society and further revealed U.S. governance, future, sorry, failure, and institutional defects. Despite mounting problems at home, the U.S. continued to behave with a sense of superiority, point fingers at others, usurp the role of, quote, lecturer of democracy, and concoct and play up the false narrative of, quote, democracy versus authoritarianism. To serve the interests of none, none other than itself, the U.S. acted to split the world into two camps it voted to find as, quote, democracies and non-democracies, and organized another edition of the so-called, quote, Summit for Democracy to check how various countries had performed on meeting U.S. standards for, for democracy and to issue new orders. Be it high-sounding rhetoric or maneuvers driven by hidden agenda, none can hide the real designs of the U.S. to maintain its hegemony by playing block politics and using democracy as a tool for political ends. This report collects a multitude of facts, media comments, and expert opinions to present a complete and real picture of American democracy over the year. What they reveal is an American democracy in chaos at home and a trail of havoc and disasters left behind as the U.S. peddled and imposed its democracy around the globe. It helps remove the facade of American democracy for more people worldwide. Got it. Yeah, I mean, there's not much to argue with, I guess, in the preamble here. One thing I think is interesting, and it's something that sometimes I think I make the mistake of saying as well, but when we talk about blocks, right, like we talk about like the BRICS as a block versus like NATO or the EU and that kind of like Western country grouping, right? And, you know, it's always interesting to me that China always pushes back on that notion. And I think it's just like, it's just testament to the fact that if we were... And China does still work with us, but if like we came to the table in good faith, like China would 
work and trade with us and like we could have like really good relations with them you know like they don't want to have block politics i mean that's kind of forming but that's at the us's behest it's not the desire of china to kind of have it form up in this way but that's just that's just what's happening i think in response but it's not the ideal for china yeah i think i just saw a headline today it was like australia was um wasn't like the justified reason for their submarines that they're getting now was to protect trade but it's trade with China and they're like trying to protect it from China. And it's like, that's the whole fucking thing they're doing. It's like, you're just ramping up tensions. You're just playing this like literal paper tiger game. I don't know. Uh, So let's see, they get on to, let's see. uh, The next section is American democracy and chronic ills. The U S refuses to acknowledge the many problems and institutional crises confronting its democracy at home and stubbornly claims to be the template and beacon of democracy for the world. Such imperiousness perpetuates the ills of, demo- of its democracy and causes dire consequences for other countries. Oh, I had wanted to comment just on like the last sentence of the previous paragraph when they were talking about how uh, it helps remove the facade of American democracy from more people worldwide. And it just reminds me of all the stuff that like Ben Norton says all the time about how none of the world in the global south buys anything the U.S. says anymore. And then the U.S. paints that as if like... Only the free world buys into the real narrative, which is the U.S. and like U.K. and Australia narrative and, you know, the global north as we know it. And it's just like funny, the the narrative that they paint, like it's like everyone else in the world believes Putin's propaganda. And it's like, no, really, just everyone else in the world does not believe American propaganda. And I think that's what we're going to see is outlined here is like how the rest of the again, like we saw with that other document, like how the rest of the world sees this country. But uh, so their section one here is American democracy in further decline. So the functioning of American democratic institutions may look as lively as a circus with politicians of all stripes showing off themselves one after another. But however boisterous the show is, it cannot hide the lethargy in addressing the longstanding grave problems. Lamont points out that 2022 is a year of doubt for U.S. democracy. A silent civil war has taken root in the U.S. and repairing damaged democracy requires a sense of nation and public interest, both of which are currently lacking. This is sad for a country that has long held itself, up, held itself up as a model. In 2022, the Swedish think tank International Institute for Democracy and Electoral Assistance added, that the, U- added the U.S. to its, quote, list of regressive democracies. <laughs> Damn. Ouch. By the Swedes, no less. <laughs> Two years after the Capitol riots on January 6, 2021, the U.S. system of democracy still has difficulty in learning the lessons as political violence continued to grow and deteriorate. The Washington Post and The New Yorker observed that American democracy is in a worse state than ever before, with the congressional riots fully exposing social rifts, political division, and rampant misinformation. The two parties, although not unaware of the age-old ills of American democracy, have neither the resolve nor the courage to pursue changes, given the increasingly polarized political atmosphere, as well as their focus on party interests. I mean, any, like, any lies told here, like... No, I mean, the only thing I'm waiting for is them just to, and they probably won't do it in this, but just to call them the same party of capital. I don't know if they'll go quite that far in this document, but I, mean, I also wouldn't be surprised if they did. Like, yeah, yeah, we'll see. Let's see, so in 2022, the U.S. Con- the U.S. Congress was brought into another paralysis, not by riots but by partisan fights. The farce of failing to elect the, the 118th House Speaker lasted four days, and a decision was only reached after 15 rounds of voting. Yeah, that was a farce. I already forgot about that. Like, the media cycle is so quick. Like, mm-hmm. In the last round, divisions were such that Republicans and Democrats voted strictly along party lines. The New York Times warned that Congress could see repeated chaos like this over the next two years. Brad Bannon, president of a U.S. political consultancy, put it, consultancy put it bluntly, 
The impasse in the House of U- sorry quote the impasse in the U.S. House of Representatives over the election of the Speaker is another demonstration of the decline in our political institutions, which is like a very just lib like milquetoast comment anyway. It's like yeah, dude, things getting yeah. worse. Like no shit. <laughs> um, this has aroused concerns among the general public. The Brookings Institution concludes in a 2020 2022 report that the once proud American democracy is facing a systemic crisis and is accelerating its decline. The impact is spreading to all fronts in domestic politics, the economy, and society, posing a mortal threat to, to the legitimacy and health of capitalism. Ace. <laughs> Hell yeah. The Carnegie Endowment for International Peace warns in a report that American democracy is at a dangerous inflection point, declining faster as the inherent ills of American capitalism worsen. Multiple challenges such as voting restrictions, election fraud, and loss of trust in government are accelerating this, the, the, dis, sorry, the disintegration of American democracy. Ian Bremmer, president of the Eurasia Group, writes that America's dysfunctional politics raises fears that the 2024 presidential election would again provoke deadly violence in the country. A large number of hot-button issues continue to provoke public anger and questions on the legitimacy of, US political, of the U.S. political establishment. Many worried about how long American democracy could continue to function. Yeah, I mean, they're just describing, like, the basic level of just, like, even just, like, lib panic, but, like, Republican... Or further right of Republican, because I really only see extremists. Like I can't, I can't even pretend I see like normal right wingers. Because if you're online in a space where I would see you, and you're to the right, you're a fucking extremist. Like that's just kind of how that works. But yeah, for liberals, it's panic, and for the right, it's like this giddy excitement. Like they they can't wait for the Civil War because they know what it means for them, which is that like they're going to be on the same side as the state actors that they claim to oppose. They're going to fucking lick the boots of the cops as they go rampaging around just shooting up like minorities and LGBT people, which is what they have always wanted to do. And they just know that they're just trying to make conditions worse or just like waiting for conditions to get worse excitedly uh, because they want to just get to the lawlessness stage of it. And yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess the description here as you're talking about Mike is just, they're kind of dancing around calling it the descent into fascism based on kind of like the inevitability of this system as constructed. Right. Um, you know, from China's perspective, I think it also just like that this analysis and the kind of the way that they're approaching this, it speaks towards like China's, I don't know, attitude towards stability and trade. Like, I don't think China, in terms of how it relates to the Chinese people, like they don't view the decline or the breakup of the U.S. as a good thing, simply from the material standpoint that the U.S. trades a lot with China, you know, so I mean, despite like, you know, obviously it does nothing to further, you know, global socialism that the U.S. stays as it is. But like, at least it's relatively stable as like a trading partner right now, despite like the best the best efforts on our part to kind of break that up. You know, um, it also just speaks to I think China not being so inflammatory just shows that they don't want to they don't go around the world imposing their will. And they're going to criticize the U.S., I think, for this later. Like, they don't try to impose their system on anybody. They're not going to try to impose it on the U.S. as much as, like, we might want it to. That's just not what they're about. Yeah. No, I mean, you actually make a good point about the stability thing. It's like the best-case scenario for China would be for the U.S. to just, I guess, kind of accept its role as the declining superpower, like, you know, again, comparing it to Great Britain now. And just kind of go with the slow decline, just like go willingly into the nursing home and not complain too much. But no one is expecting the U.S. to do that. Like people are just like expecting the U.S. to press the fucking button rather than just accept its fate. And I feel like we may just start to 
question like China's motives for even putting this out there. Like they say, they're just trying to show the world what's really going on. I don't know if they really need to, but it's good to reiterate it. Why not? It's great podcast material for us, for sure. But um, yeah, it seems like that would be the best case scenario. And they're just like almost lamenting that the U.S. is doing the opposite, which is like full, like like you said on your uh, recent episode, Nick, all gas, no brakes, just full on into the decline. Like, yeah, yeah. And like reality is like it would be best for China if we did that. It would be best for us if we could work out on like some cooperative basis with China to kind of slip into that role. And, you know, obviously pull back on like the uh, imperialism. I mean, that would necessitate it, but the violence abroad, I mean, that would be best for us too. Um, I mean, obviously it wouldn't be the best thing that we could imagine in terms of implementing a socialist system here in some form. But I mean, in terms of just stability and not losing a bunch of lives to, you know, fucking fascist violence, it would be nice if we could, but I just can't envision that the way we're behaving. Yeah, and it's funny, even that is like still just like a very privileged point of view too, because I just saw like a fucking I think I shared this meme it was like somebody underlined um explaining why like the Western left loves the Paris protest so much because even the people in like France are just complaining that they want more of the social democracy that's built on imperialism anyway. They're yeah. not it's not some kind of like real anti imperialist, like real Marxist protest, just like again, it's like a liberal country, you know. Right. But so uh, section two here, they got political polarization intensified by partisan fights. So with radical factions rising in both the Democratic and Republican parties, the two were increasingly at odds in many, were increasingly at odds in many aspects, such as voter base, ideology, and identity. As a result, the traditional inter-party balance based on policy compromise became more difficult to sustain. The two parties saw each other not as on, not only as political opponents, but also as a threat to the country. The New York Review of Books points out that America is already quote a binational state with the Republicans and Democrats leading two sharply opposed national communities that effectively operate as confederations under a single federal government. The United States of America has become the disunited states. Hell yeah, based. Just balkanization <laughs> win. <laughs> uh, the Discord, AO, we're on Discord right now, sorry. The Discord between the two Americans, the two Americas was deepening day by day, and political polarization reached an unprecedented level. Amid the escalating political battles, politicians put the interests of their political parties and factions above those of the country and acted in an unbridled way to attack and pin blames on each other. On August 8, 2022, law enforcement raided former President Donald Trump's Mar-a-Lago residence, and Trump accused the Justice Department of playing politics to stop his second presidential bid and of political persecution. The Republicans, on their part, were relentless on the discovery of classified documents in President Joe Biden's residence, launched investigations into the Biden administration's withdrawal from Afghanistan, and demanded accountability. U.S. state, US state apparatus was reduced to a tool for political parties' self-interest. I don't remember them like I don't remember them raiding Joe Biden's. Um, I remember them being mad about Afghanistan, but I don't remember them like raiding anything of Joe Biden's residence and like investigating his withdrawal. They said they didn't raid it because he invited them in, right? And they said Trump, that's what Trump didn't do. He he uh, claimed he didn't have it. So that, that was like at least what the Democrats were saying. I see. Okay. And apparently the same with Pence, right? Because they found him in Pence's as well. And he said, yeah, you can come and take them. So that's, that was the argument the whole time. That's why not like Pence. He was like, yeah, come and take it. But he meant like yeah. unironically. Like, <laughs> yeah. I got to actually find where I totally lost my place. So Yeah, we're at party politics in that middle section of part two okay party politics all right so picking up yeah party politics increasingly followed race and identity lines according to the financial times republicans are white small town and rural 
while Democrats are now almost entirely urban and multi-ethnic. More than a third of Republicans and Democrats today believe violence is justified to achieve their political ends. More than a third, that's crazy. Yeah. Like, okay, for them saying, like, more than a third of Republicans that I believe Democrats, that I find hard to believe, right? Like, yeah. That's what I was wondering, like, is this talking about, like, a cumulative thing, or is it a third in each party? Like, I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. <clears throat> um, when one party loses, its voters feel as though their America is being occupied by a, far, a foreign power. Political scientist Barbara Walter considers the U.S., quote, a factionalized anocracy. I've never even heard that term, anocracy. I guess a lack of democracy or a lack of rule by any class. Yeah. Um, the halfway state between autocracy... Oh, of course they define it right there. If I just like actually read the thing. <laughs> the halfway state between autocracy and democracy. Political polarization was more of an obstacle to po policy decision-making. GovTrack, an online non-governmental source of legislative information and statistics, reveals a steady fall in the number of laws successive U.S. Congresses could enact. from. 4,247 by the 93rd to the 98th Congress, down to 2,081 by the 111th to the 116th. The drop was even more pronounced when one considers how many bills could become laws, from 6% in the 106th Congress to 1% in the 116th, a slide of 5 percentage points over, the two, over two decades. The, taxic, the tactics used in partisan fights were more scandalous. I guess the common real, like there... I think it's a common tactic of people on the right to be like, oh, well, good, good. Like, they're not passing more laws. I have less, less restrictions on my fucking civil liberties, man. Like, but like. Yeah, but what they're passing is the fucking, you know, deregulation and like the advancement of business interests, which like you're, you don't realize that you're mad at is causing all of your actual consternation. And then like it gets to what they're talking about, you know, like we have the memes all the time. It's like they've got you fighting, uh, you know, a uh, culture war when you should be fighting a class war and like they're just putting like i think statistics to to that sentiment here yeah in reality like that decline in percentage of like what congress actually gets done shows that like they're passing less bills that would actually be like infrastructure anything that would actually help someone and the the few things that they still are getting done are going to be like yeah cutting regulations uh slashing things just to make things easier for businesses and then also like still doing the erosion of civil liberties because they're still going to pass bills that um, give police everything they fucking want in the military. So, But I also, I don't think the Republicans give a shit about bills anymore either. They have the Supreme Court to do what they want, right? Mm. I mean, there's like three things I've read recently of cases coming that are like, oh, pretty scary. I think I sent at least two of them to Nick. One of them's the one about the unions where they're, they could vote to make striking illegal. And based on this Supreme Court, they probably will. The other one is a case about uh, Native American rights and basically removing sovereignty from Native Americans. And again, they think that was likely. And then today I read an article that I guess Thomas put in some dissenting opinion that he wants to repeal a decision from, it was in the 60s sometimes, where you know everyone has a right to, a, to, be, to have like a public defendant. He wants to get rid of that as well. So nice. there, I, yeah, there's all these stalemates. And, but again, I don't think they give a shit as long as they have this dominance in the Supreme Court, which I don't think is going to change anytime soon. They can they can just get shit done through there. Yeah, it's literally like the definition of a regressive agenda, like literally repealing any progress that was made through the system. Yeah, and I think they have this whole section on the judicial not representing the people as well. So Yeah. Uh, so where did I leave off? Um, okay, so they say, the tactics used in partisan fights were more scandalous. 
Professor Larry Diamond of Political Science and Sociology at Stanford University believes the norms of democracy, such as self-restraint in the exercise of power and rejection of violence, which should have been, observe, uh, should have been observed by the participating parties in elections, have begun dis disintegrating in the U.S. A growing number of politicians and elected officials in the U.S. have been willing to bend or abandon democratic norms in the quest to achieve or retain power. And as common political ground vanishes, rising proportions of Americans in both camps express attitudes and perceptions that are blinking red for democratic peril. Democracy in the U.S. is at serious risk of breaking down. <laughs> and again, like, I still, it, it is just kind of cute to me, like, even China, like, I don't know if they're just, like, intentionally playing polite, because you know that they know the state yeah. of, like, actual democracy in the U.S. So, like, to even call it a democracy is just very polite. It's, like, a very nice liberal framing, like, putting the white gloves on. I like it. So I've got like a bunch of points I'll bring up whenever kind of it, they're probably better at the end from that those two talks I had to go to. But I mean, one, jump in now. I don't have to read like all the time. Shit, like <laughs> no, but I mean, a lot of them are kind of more summations of these two guys, and it might be better at the end. But the one point that this admiral guy made, and it's kind of to do with this. You know, he was talking about the division within America, and he was like, he said. You know, I don't know how many people have come up to me and thanked me for my service while I'm here, but we need to remember that you shouldn't just thank me. You should be thanking our police and firemen Ew. and teachers. And he just like, he goes, all those people are giving service to America. And if we all just took our time to thank them, we could all come together and be a better country. And I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? That's all we need. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I can get on board with the firemen and the teachers, but not the cops. No. But yeah, I mean, but it's just this idea that like, okay, we can just do this, like, liberal performance to save our country. Like, give yeah. me a fucking break. Like, making, it's like making my bed is going to, you know, fix my mental problems, you know. Oh, if you clean your room. You, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, but like, that's that same kind of sentiment. It's like, we have deep-seated issues as it relates to fucking declining imperialism and capitalism. Like, these little niceties to kind of try to rejoin the fabric of this fucked up society aren't going to do shit. And we know that, but yeah, I mean, it just, it just really smacks of that, like um, blaming some kind of like ethereal weird reasons for like why the country's getting worse instead of just like the very obvious, like economic and political conditions. It's like, it's right there fucking in front of you. Uh, just be a materialist and it makes everything way easier to diagnose and then to actually solve if you just so desire, but you just don't because your class position prevents it. But it's just funny to me. I mean, both the right and the left or quote-unquote left, the Democrats and Republicans. This is like a meme in my mind as of today uh, while I'm like stacking oranges at the grocery store. It's like, we're the centrists. Like, we really are the centrists. It's like I'm reading articles about like Biden deporting as many people as Trump or whatever. It's just like adopting all the same policies as Trump, like fucking opening up drilling on federal lands and like literally just dooming the world to like 1.5 Celsius, whether we like it or not. And it's like, we're the only ones saying that like both Biden and Trump are bad because... You got like the Democrats being like, oh, actually, Biden is like the most progressive president we've ever had, like since he's our new FDR or whatever. And then you have like the people on the right saying like, actually, Trump was great and he was really bringing back business and he was making America great again until Biden came along and fucked it up with COVID or something or, or China came along and did it. Like we're the only ones in the center who are just calling the shots like they actually are saying like, actually, Trump's a fascist and Biden's also kind of fascist. And things are really fucked right now because nobody wants to just do what working people need. It's like, yeah. it seems so sensible to me. And it's like, I'm sure they're going to get to this a little bit just about like disillusionment with the process. And it's like, yeah, we're disillusioned because we only pass 1% of the bills and the 1% of the bills go to fucking increase the military budget and then fund these fucking like, and I don't know if fund's the right word, but like 
allow these federal drilling projects on, um, you know, protected land, which Biden said that they weren't going to do. So it's like every campaign promise gets broken. They get nothing done. I mean, we have these like mass movements on the street. And what do they do? Fund cops more to break them down. Like, of course, we're fucking disillusioned, right? So the next section they get into is uh, section three, money politics surged. Quote, make money your God, and it will plague you like the devil. So admonished British playwright Henry Fielding. In the U.S., money is the breast milk of politics. Damn, that's like... <laughs> so damn, fucking that's good. a good one, damn. <laughs> there's like a good... If I was an artist, man, there's a fucking great political cartoon just out of that line. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to... Uh, I, I'm just already seeing the memes now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in the U.S., money is the breast milk of politics, and elections increasingly morph into monologues of the wealthy, while the public call for democracy is made only, quote, a jarring note. With the devil of money of money lurking in every corner of American politics, fairness and justice is naturally strained. The latest illustration is the 2022 midterm elections. The whole exercise has a price tag of more than $16.7 billion, breaking the 2018 record of $14 billion as, round, as found by Reveal, an online platform tracking the flow of political donations in the country. This amount dwarfs the 2021 GDPs of more than 70 countries. Plural, federal, sorry, federal Senate races in some states such as Georgia, Georgia, Pennsylvania, Arizona, Wisconsin, and Ohio sucked in more than uh, 100 million U.S. dollars on average. Over 90% of those elected as lawmakers, uh, sorry, or yeah, over 90% of the percent of those elected as lawmakers won by splurging funds. It was impossible to identify how much quote dark money or funds from undisclosed sources was involved. American politics has increasingly revealed its nature as the, quote, game of the rich. U.S. think tank, the Brennan Center for Justice, finds that the top 21 families making political donations contributed to at least $15 million each, totaling $783 million, far more than $3.7 million of small donations. Okay, so yeah, just those 21 families donating $783 million, and then everyone else, $3.7 million total for all the small donations. The dictatorship over the bourgeoisie. I mean, like that's like it couldn't be more plain than that, right? Right. Uh, billionaires provided 15.4 percent of federal election funds, and most of it went to super PACs that can accept unlimited donations. So that all of that wasn't even including what billionaires are are contributing. They were just talking right. about the enormous bills did not bring effective national governance in return. They only stimulated pork barrel politics. An article on Leon Jabal observes that the past few decades has witnessed a decay in Western democracy. Wealth is increasingly concentrated in the hands of a few, making the poor poorer and the rich richer. Politics is controlled by the rich and politicians to serve their own interests. Despite a right to vote, the public does not have any real sway over politics. The sense of powerlessness and loss of confidence in political parties and, co and government has given rise to populism, and the problem remains unresolved. I think you just said that, Nick, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, <clears throat> why? Why participate? Yeah. I mean, what's the point? Um, and just like to juxtapose all this with China, where like people that fuck shit up and then don't deliver get imprisoned, um, corrupt bankers get fucking executed. Like, just juxtapose those things and think about how they operate differently. Uh, so the next section here is uh, section four: freedom of speech in name only. The United States has always prided itself on free speech. In reality, however, freedom of speech in the United States is upheld according to self-centered, quote, U.S. standards. Partisan interest and money politics have become two, quote, big mountains that weigh on free speech. Any speech that is, detriment that is detrimental to the interest of the U.S. government or capital is subject to strict restri restrictions. 
The U.S. government has all-encompassing regulations on media and technology companies to intervene in public opinion. In December 2022, Twitter CEO Elon Musk and journalist Matt Taibbi posted back-to-back tweets that exposed the, quote, Twitter files, revealing that the U.S. government is heavily scrutinizing all social media companies. Sometimes it directly intervenes in big media companies' reporting, like frequently having Google remove certain links. Twitter sensitive, censored sensitive information about presidential candidates ahead of, ahead of the 2020 election, creating, quote, blacklists to limit the exposure of unpopular accounts and even hot topics, and working with the FBI to monitor uh, social media content, all, oh, sorry, oh, yeah, and working with the FBI to monitor social media content, all while giving the U.S. military the green light to spread different disinformation online. All this has undoubtedly turned, torn off the flag, the fig leaf of free speech in the United States. In the United States. So I was thinking about that because I had posted something recently talking about um, the Twitter files and Matt Taibbi um, exposing just like the U.S. government is just meddling in all the social media companies all the time and how much they're controlling the narrative that is, is out there. And people immediately started messaging me saying like, oh, Matt Taibbi has turned into like a right wing grifter, which he definitely has. Like him and Glenn Greenwald have like gone off the fucking deep end. Yeah. But um, that doesn't mean the stuff that they're exposing isn't like a real thing. And people are writing it off because they're saying, oh, well, we always knew the government was controlling social media and was like involved in everything. And they're just doing this because they want to like really harp on the Hunter Biden laptop because they want to like hurt Biden's chances for like reelection or something or whatever. And I'm like, uh, it's just like, it seems like such a classic thing of like point at the wrong, the the bad messenger so that you can like, shut down the message right like yeah yeah no i mean taibi has turned into a grifter and that that's obvious but it doesn't it doesn't invalidate just the facts that he put out there i mean his motives might be fucked up but i mean I, I, this is just confirming shit that we already knew like why now like because your question is motives does it make this false i mean now we have concrete evidence just to support exactly what we knew i mean I don't know. I mean, I don't like Matt Taibbi, but like, it doesn't mean I don't believe all this shit that he put out there. And like, you know, they mentioned Elon Musk. Yeah. And he had a hand in this too. And like, we should just all be smart enough to just say, yeah, like we know where someone like Musk is coming from in this situation. Like he can do the same shit just to his interests. It just happened that Jack Dorsey or whatever was doing it in his interests at that time. And that's just how that shit works. And the same, you know, it's the same profile of people in power here on Taibbi's a little bit different because he's a journalist, but you know what I mean. In fact, I actually didn't know that Musk was involved in that at all because I just consider Elon Musk like fucking CIA himself. Like, I just consider him an op of the United States, like, Defense Department because of how much he just, I mean, is directly funded by the U.S. government in every way, but also sells, like, all of his technology to them to do whatever they want with. Like, literally has been responsible for so much of uh, Ukraine being able to fight Russia at all with his satellite technology. It's like... (laughs) I don't know. So the fact that like he's involved in the Twitter files releases makes me think that like that's now like how much could they really? It's like a what do you call it? A limited hangout. That's what I'm saying. At some level, it confirms what we already knew anyway. So I mean, it's just more. I think they just probably view this as okay. This is just going to continue to propagate the culture war because you know fucking bootlickers love Musk too, right? So they go on here. Capital, capital and interest groups basically can get anything they want when it comes to public opinion. In the face of capital and interest groups, uh, capital and interest groups, American media's quote freedom of speech smacks of hypocrisy. Most American media firms are privately owned and serve to serve the powerful and the rich. Whether it's the owner of the media or the investment and in advertisement income that the media depends on, all of them are related to capital and interest groups. In his book, The Hypocritical Superpower, 
Michael Luders, a well-known German writer and media professional, elaborated in detail how the, quote, filtering mechanism of American media, under the influence of interest groups, chooses and distorts facts. In January 2023, Project Veritas, an American right-wing group, published a video about Pfizer that went viral. It recorded Jordan Tristan Walker, a senior executive at Pfizer, saying that Pfizer was exploring plans to, quote, mutate the coronavirus, that the coronavirus vaccine business was a, quote, cash cow, and that U.S. regulators had, had vested interests in drug companies. To deal with the PR crisis, in addition to issuing a statement, Pfizer even had, a, had YouTube remove the video immediately on grounds of, quote, violating community guidelines. Which, um, yeah, I mean, it's problematic. I'm sure the right wing just fucking went off on that because that sounds like, uh, what do you call it, Streisand syndrome all the way down. It's just like you make it worse by trying to remove it, and then that just gives them way more fodder to go off on. It's also like, again, an instance of like, if you have an understanding of how capitalism works and you understand that profit permeates our medical system, I mean, surely you can see that being a thing, right? And again, it's like that Project Veritas, they're a bunch of right-wing nut jobs, but again, in isolation, like, I don't disbelieve that a fucking Pfizer CEO wanted to do something to make more profits. I mean, look at what Joe Manchin's daughter does in terms of packaging insulin medicine to increase the profits there. It fucking kills people. They don't give a shit, you know? Again, and the answer isn't to turn into some lunatic, you know vaccine freak you know anti-vaccine freak it's to become a fucking communist because we don't dismiss science and the value of science and what vaccines have actually done to improve you know the lives of people everywhere but that's the answer it's not to become some lunatic i think you just made me realize something that's the new uh comeback because all the um in addition to like the videos of like people shaking uh supposedly from the vaccine um, all the right wingers and the anti vaxxers like, oh yeah, enjoy your heart attack and your myocarditis or whatever because they act like we're all gonna die from the vaccine now. Or we're just gonna be sterile or something. I don't know. Um <laughs> fuck it. I mean hope I'm sterile, fuck. I don't need any more kids. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> um But like we should ask them, like, how are the people in like the other countries that had vaccines but they're not like the US, like Cuba, who developed how, their own vaccine Cuba or China, exactly. like the bet Cuba like has way better uh results. Because they always have better medical results. It's weird how like such a isolated and impoverished and blockaded country and like ninety miles away just has such better medical results. It's crazy. Like I think they've got ninety eight percent vaccination rates, and it's not because you know the government held down the Cubans and forced them to get it. The Cubans were lining up to get the vaccines because they actually trust their fucking medical system. Yeah, must be nice, right? Yeah. The way that the like right from listening to like that Alex Jones and all the I think I talked about it on another podcast, but the way they um justify that by saying that like that their contention is if you want the vaccine, you're gonna have a heart attack. So their contention is when someone says, Why have so are so many people okay? And that's because they're giving us placebos. They're not giving us uh, real vaccines. Uh, <laughs> they're just telling us they are, and that's what's really happening. So that's kind of the lie they have, you know, what they what they tell themselves now to kind of, you know just perpetuate their bullshit genius because it's also unfalsifiable and yeah. it gives them an out like what else right. can you do you know mm -hmm. see where i left off uh, violating community guidelines so the u.s uses social media to manipulate international public opinion in december 2022 the independent investigation website the intercept revealed that agencies affiliated to the u.s department of defense had long interfered in public opinion in middle eastern op in middle eastern countries by manipulating topics and waging deceptive propaganda on social media such as Twitter. In July 2017, U.S. Central Command official Nathan Kaler sent to the Twitter public policy team a form containing 52 Arab Arabic language accounts, yeah, Arab, sorry, Arabic language accounts 
asking for priority services for six of them. Following Kaler's request, Twitter put these Arabic, Arabic accounts on a, quote, whitelist to amplify messages favorable to the United States. Eric Sperling, executive director of Just, for, Just Foreign Policy, an anti-war organization, commented on this incident that Congress and social media companies should investigate and take action to ensure that, at the very least, the citizens are fully informed when the tax money is being spent on putting a positive spin on the endless wars. Yeah, I mean, that would be a Please. fucking bare minimum, like, <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. In September 2022, the explosion of the, quote, Nord Stream natural, natural gas pipeline shocked the world, and the international community was eager to know the identity and motive of the perpetrator. On February 8, 2023, Pulitzer Prize-winning veteran investigative journalist Seymour Hersh published an article exposing the U.S. government as the culprit of the incident. However, American and European mainstream media, known for their sensitivity to such scoops, sorry, such scoops, stayed eerily quiet on the piece on this piece of explosive news. As observed by the Canadian website Western Standard and German television channel ZDF, Hersh's report was one of the big, one of the biggest stories of the decade. A few media in North America wanted to talk about it because the West does not want anyone to find out about the truth and the surveillance technologies it has deployed in the Baltic Sea. Western media even tried to bypass the crux of the issue by questioning the authenticity of Hirsch's report. On February 15th, Hirsch wrote another article accusing the U.S. government and mainstream media of covering up the truth of the, quote, Nord Stream pipeline explosion. Analysts pointed out that given Western media's obedience to the U.S., their blocking of Hirsch's revelations is not surprising. You know... We had uh, Dan Kavalik come here and speak locally. If y'all don't know who he is, he's an author. He visits a lot of these places that he writes about. He's been in Nicaragua. He's actually been to the Donbass. And he was just commenting um, on the blackout of Hirsch. And, you know, we know, as, you know, the article is pointing out here, that the media is dominated by money and political interests and things like that. But he's he was just commenting that, it's never been this bad. Like, never has the media been so aligned and in complete lockstep across, you know, basically the entirety of the West on the Ukraine issue. Um, and that just has to say something to you. It's not that, like, we're wrong when we talk about this. It's just that they really, really, really want to protect this narrative. Even when you got the guy that broke my lie and, or me lie and fucking Abu Ghraib telling you that this is what happened. And again, he's just confirming what we already knew. But it's it's amazing how they're how they're trying to, to kind of put this guy into disre into disrepute who's been, you know, just an he's an award winning journalist, as they said. Nick, are you telling me that you don't buy that it was just like an anonymous group who just supports Ukraine for reasons, just reasons. Um, just an anonymous pro-Ukraine group that has access to some kind of undersea technology that would blow up the Nord Stream pipeline in what, like five separate places? Yeah. Um, and it was in like one of the most heavily patrolled areas of the Baltic Sea because it's literally like that is critical financial infrastructure. Um, and yeah, I mean, like literally supplying heat to like well, <laughs> entire see, countries. Like I, before the report, I actually thought Russia blew up this, you know, huge source of their own state income. I was pretty yeah. convinced of that. Joking. I, I love doing that. I also love <laughs> like, when I when I want to turn off the water to my shower. I love instead of turning off the faucet. I just love just like getting a hacksaw and just <laughs> putting some Semtex on my fucking hot water lines. <laughs> Great. I love doing that. <sighs> All right. So let's see where I left off here. Uh, the next section, section five, the the judicial system blind to public opinion. As an institution undergirding the country's constitution, the U.S. Supreme Court, like the American society, has become deeply divided. 
Digital power is hijacked by public opinion, and a partisan struggle has spread to the judicial, judicial system. Sorry, judicial is like really hard for me tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Increasingly, Supreme Court decisions reflect the huge chasm between the, quote, two Americas, the conservatives and liberals, and have been reduced to a tool of political warfare. The, quote, separation of powers is constantly being eroded. Partisanship has abandoned tradition and crossed the line. Both parties pursue their agenda by changing the political orientation of the Supreme Court. The presidential election has in some ways become a partisan battle for the right to appoint judges. The passing away of Supreme Court, justice, Supreme Court justices gave Trump the opportunity to appoint during his term three justices who took a, a conservative stance, giving conservative justices an overwhelming advantage over liberal ones. Also, just a, a quick side note, I noticed like any judge that conservatives don't like, uh, they just go with activist judge. That's their label for anybody who's like to the left of fucking McCarthy. Like, if you're yeah. going to be a judge, like, that's what they call you. Yeah, I mean, this, this, this makes a good point, right? I mean, they're, they're right in what they say, but I think it misses, and maybe they'll get into it later, but they may do this on, like, you know, the Democrats may approve or appoint more liberal judges, and maybe on social issues that'll help, but they're still going to protect capital, right? right? Whoever, either of these parties, um, appoint to the court. Like, I, I wouldn't be surprised if a Democratic-appointed Supreme Court made it illegal for unions to strike. It wouldn't surprise me at all because I mean they don't really give a shit about workers. They care about they care about capital and what drives the country. So that that's probably what they're going to vote for. They may be more liberal when it comes to social issues, but they're not going to they're not going to stop the machine that's, you know, that is the US. So yeah. Why why do you say that, Steve? Have Biden and the Democrats <laughs> done anything recently to like sour you on their opinion of labor like <laughs> no, no. No, they've been really cool to unions recently. But also look at Notorious RBG's record on economic <laughs> issues that came before the court. <laughs> Notorious <Yeah>. RBG. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I so mean, I love this document, obviously. I just wish they would take the next step and be like, look, it's always been like, this is not a new phenomenon. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. to think that the, the Supreme Court is some newly political institution to uphold the rights of the ruling class, is that's, I mean... It's just wrong. And I know they don't actually think that or whatever, but like it was literally implemented by the founding fathers to protect fucking capital. Well, not, it wasn't even implemented by them in its form now. I think the judicial review and everything like that has been powers that have expanded. But like it's always been an institution by unelected fucking elites to maintain the order of things based on some legitimacy that was imbued by this document drawn up by super rich people. And it's always been, you know, a partisan weapon. I mean, there's FDR, there's, you know, accounts of him, you know, threatening the Supreme Court to get his, like, in that case, I guess, more progressive agenda through. But, like, it's not new that it's, that people play politics with this, you know? Yeah. I mean, I wonder if somewhere in the document they will, like, just really damn the U.S. and be like, yeah, it's actually always been this way, by the yeah. way. But, uh, I don't know. Yeah. But they go on here, um. After talking about Trump's conservative judges, they say after Trump, radical white evangelical fundamentalists have taken the reins of the Supreme Court, according to an article in the South African website Daily Maverick. It's hardly surprising that the Supreme Court almost always makes decisions in favor of Christian evangelicals, big corporations, and the Republican Party. The U.S. Supreme Court's decision on abortion rights fully demonstrates the consequences of being involved in partisan warfare and out of touch with society. On 24th June 2022, Supreme Court flagrantly endorsed religious conservatism by overturning the 1973 Roe v. Wade, Roe v. Wade decision and removing constitutional protections for women's abortion rights. 
the decision triggered protests across the United States. Polls show that more than half of Americans believe that stripping away abortion rights is a setback for the country. Israeli media, boo. (laughs) Israeli media, Haaretz, commented on the issue of abortion rights. The Supreme Court has undermined democracy in the name of defending it, which is a typical case of, quote, tyranny of the minority. Let me hear that from you, Israel. Yeah, I know, right? (laughs) (laughs) The gall. Here is an unrepresentative Supreme Court with its justices appointed by an unrepresentative president and confirmed by an obviously unrepresentative Senate, but it has made a decision that will affect the United States until 2030, 2040, and even 2050. The Supreme Court also struck down a New York state law that had been in place since 1913, restricting people from carrying concealed firearms. As the nation reflects on gun violence, such a reckless reversal of New York's gun control law is intolerable, noted the governor of New York. American political commentator Matthew Dowd pointed out that the problems facing the United States today are rooted in the fragmentation of democracy. What American citizens want are a fair ruling in Roe v. Wade, a real gun reform, higher minimum wages, steeper taxes on the super rich, better health care for all, and other reforms that heed popular calls. Yeah, I mean, they're not wrong. Yeah, I mean, that is a good analysis of what people want here. I mean, that's that's reflective of popular sentiment. Like as much as we want want to want it to be that they want more, I mean, that would appease a lot of people. And like that's why I always say, like, if they did shit like this, if the Democrats did shit like this and they did healthcare, I mean, I'm too far gone to you know come back from what I think yeah. we need. But like they would they would stop the radicalization process for a lot of people. Like, you know, there was all these Gen Z progressives fighting against the Willow Project. And I mean, I, that's, I mentioned them in like one of our previous episodes that we just released. And I also want to make sure that I call out that I'm sure there was a bunch of fucking indigenous groups fighting against this all over as well. But, you know, the indigenous people, they already know what the hell's up. You know, the, the Gen Z progressives that are fighting in um, environmental coalitions and things like that, like if they won, you know, and they stopped this Willow Project, I think you would get like a whole group of people to at least believe in the power of reform, but they, they, they can't even grant some of these concessions anymore to, and I, I've said this over and over again, but like they literally cannot stop the radicalization by continuing to hit the gas. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a good point because the last thing they describe in that whole sentence, what did they say? Um, I already lost my place. Sorry. Uh, real gun reform, higher minimum wages, steeper taxes on the super rich, better health care, and other reforms that he popular calls. They want just like basic social democratic populist demands, right? And again, like you're saying, Nick, this is not like what we would call for. Like we would call for all of those things, um, but then all, all of them funded by the complete dismantling of the United States military and then like um, beheadings of a whole bunch of like a huge class of people. Just like, what is that word for like, um, damn, I just heard it the other day. It was like, it's like genocide, but it's not like classicide. Yeah, it's like, it is classicide, but it's like there's a word for it. It was better than that. It was like um, I don't know, but that like classicide is a good one. We'll go with that for now. And uh, yeah, we would call for that kind of shit. We would call for like a real overhaul, so that it's not just like what France is calling for, which is like some better social democracy benefits going to working people, yeah. but still exploitation that it's based on. It's like and a constitution that enshrines all these things, not just the same bullshit one that a new court can come along and reinterpret, right? Fuck a constitution. I want a vanguard party, bro. But like, well, I'm yeah. saying that if we're dreaming, that, that, like, gets pro- that gets promulgated as a result of the vanguard party. Yeah. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so I mean, all of those things. And it makes me wonder if that is what China's MO here is like to call for the U S to do the decent thing, which is just like 
slowly fade away, just kind of step down, be polite about it, just like, don't make us bring out the hook and pull you off stage. Just like, take a bow, acknowledge your time is over. Yeah, it's it's done, dude. Just like, give it up. But I, I wonder, like, if the U.S. were to try to do the, all those things and reform that way, the U.S. way to go about that would, again, be to fund it by, like, expanding um, Global South operations to find some labor that could fund that. So that can't happen. And like you're saying, Nick, like you're rightly pointing out that the U.S. is even going to try to do that. The U.S. is just full steam ahead on doing whatever the fuck it wants to, thinking it's like in its own hubris that everything's just going to be the way it always was. So, yeah, I mean, again, it just seems like another case of China just kind of being reasonable and saying, like, you guys, uh, you're acting drunk and we're going to have to put you down and we'd rather not do it. But, like, <laughs> we're just warning you. Like, yeah. <clears throat> All right, so section uh, six here. Americans increasingly disillusioned with American democracy. Um, it seems like they've been talking about this the whole time, but, you know. Americans' pride in the democracy has dropped sharply from 90% in 2022 to 54, 54% in 2022. Oh, sorry, 2002 to 2022. So over 20 years. According to a joint Washington Post University of Maryland survey, a poll by the Public Policy, of Institute, Public Policy Institute of California shows that Californian voters have widespread concern that American democracy is going off track, with 62% saying the country is headed in the wrong direction. 46% pessimistic, pessimistic about the prospect of Americans with differing political opinions, sorry, different, different political views working together to resolve differences, and 52% dissatisfied with the current way American democracy works. According to a Quinnipiac University poll, 67% of respondents believe that American democracy is in danger of collapse, and 48% think there could be another capital riot in the United States. According to a Pew Center poll, 65% of Americans believe that the American democratic system needs major reforms while 57% of respondents believe that the United States is no longer a model of democracy. Yeah, no, I mean, of course, but a UCLA study, a UCLA study shows that the U.S. government has been losing its ability to govern and its sense of democratic responsibility in recent years and lacks effective measures to push forward large-scale reforms or address issues such as electoral justice and media fraud. Fair enough. Uh, they have another section three here. Sorry, you have something, Nick? No, I was just going to say there's just not much else... There's not much to add to that. Yeah. Uh, the United States' imposition of, quote, democracy has caused chaos around the world. In spite of all the problems facing its own democracy, the United States refuses to reflect on itself, but instead continues to export American democratic values to other countries and use the pretext of democracy to oppress other countries and serve its own agenda. What the U.S. has done is exacerbating division in the international community and block-based confrontation. So then they have a subsection one, Foreign policy held hostage by political polarization. Quote, politics stops at the water's edge is a popular proverb in American political circles, which means that partisan struggle should be confined to domestic politics and that a united front should be formed when dealing with foreign affairs. However, with the intensification of political polarization, Democrats and Republicans are increasingly divided on major foreign affairs issues, and America's foreign policy has become more and more, quote, extreme. Politics crossing the water's edge has become the norm. It is not only harmful to many developing countries, but also poses a threat to America's own allies. Since the outbreak of COVID-19, the Trump administration and some extreme politicians have concocted all kinds of lies and rumors against China on coronavirus's origins, origins tracing. The most typical is in 2021, when the U.S. intelligence agency issued the so-called origins tracing report, which, in total disregard of science, fabricated the, quote, lab leak story and claimed that China lacked transparency and obstructed international investigations. 
Facing the origins of the coronavirus is a matter of science, but the true purpose of the U.S. doing it of sorry of the U.S. is doing is to obscure the views of the public and manipulate the issue to shift the blame onto China and suppress and contain China. This fully exposes the hypocrisy of American democracy and the ill effects of political polarization. And I think, I mean, I think we've definitely talked about, I mean, you guys talked about it the other night, like the U.S. doing the fucking lab leak theory again to stoke war with China. It's like, it's yeah. so fucking obvious too. Like now it's coming from the left. It's like, we weren't buying that when Trump was doing it and we were calling everybody crazy. And now all of a sudden, like, you're going to buy that. And even though it's quote, low confidence, but nobody ever talks about that. Yeah, this might be the section I... I, I kindly disagree with them on yeah. because there is no political polarization when it comes to issues of foreign policy, at least as it comes to the parties. I mean, I don't know if they're referring to the mass base, but like, you know, we always talk about it's one party, especially as it relates to issues of imperialism. So, yeah. Yeah, I actually like wish the parties disagreed on like China, but they just don't like <laughs> they, they don't. Under the Biden administration, the U.S. ended 20 years of war in Afghanistan with a hasty withdrawal of troops. It just walked away after, a shat after shattering the whole country and destroying the future of several generations. Although its troops have left, the U.S. government continued to sanction Afghanistan and illegally froze the assets of the Afghan Central Bank, making life even worse for the local people. A U.N.-backed report published in May 2022 showed that nearly 20 million people in Afghanistan were facing acute hunger. Even after the devastating earthquake in Afghanistan in June 2022, the U.S. still refused to lift the sanctions. Political polarization in the U.S. is spilling over. According to a report released by the University of Ottawa, there is open support from conservative media, including Fox News and conservative politicians in the U.S., for the far-right extremists in Canada. Yeah, by the way, have you guys ever, like, glanced at, like, our Canada or any, like, the Canadian subreddits? Because, like, Reddit is, like, a good gauge of, like... Reddit used to be, like, a website where... And I guess if you, like, view, like, the major subreddits, like, they probably keep it tame enough. But if you venture outside of any of, like, the, the major subreddits, it's just a far-right shithole. Mm -hmm. But that kind of allows you to get like a, a view into the consciousness of the far right in every other country if you go into their country's subreddit, because again, far right. So our Canada, all the Canadian subreddits, like theirs is like just as bad as America's, but like just fucking weirder. Like it's just weirder because they have their own weird things. Like they really hate indigenous people, which is like a thing that's just like not a thing for most American rights because, you know, America got rid of most of the indigenous people and just like it's not a daily occurrence to meet or know indigenous people here in the u.s for like most american rightoids they just like live in their fucking sheltered suburbs and they just see other white people and they're angry at the fact that like black people are in their movies uh let alone like in their daily life so yeah they, they, like the canadian ones they have and they already lost their guns too so they're like extra like cucked and just weird about everything like they're just they're really strange man they're weird i don't know i think like we've we've talked about it before nick but i think canada is always like an election or two behind us so yeah. you can see like the the extreme right there has it's been amplified since covid right i mean that's when you had all those truck like trucker protests and all that shit in canada and i think it's just you know they were a little bit behind us but they always catch up and i'm sure like they're going to elect their trump next and then we'll see what happens after that and in canada is just not that much different than us when it comes no. down to it i mean the end of the day like they're another appendage of us imperialism that gets fucking healthcare that's all they are. Yeah. yeah. You know, like they're very similar to, I think, the European nations that kind of we drag around across the world um, in that way. But again, even, even more similar to us than Europe, they're a fucking neo colonial, or they're a colonial fucking state 
that's run on neoliberalism right now, you know? Yeah. So just bring, bringing up the indigenous issues there. I mean, they have a lot of the same contradictions that we do. Yeah, I mean, shout out to, uh, I love listening to uh, the East is a podcast and uh, the Anti-Empire Project. Mm-hmm. And they're both Canadian podcasts. Uh, you've got Sina Romani and Justin Poder running both of those. And, and also, the East is a podcast has been posting some like great memes like that. He must have got back into Instagram lately. And uh, I've been loving like reposting his shit. It's great. I love to see it. He's so good. Yeah. Um, so let's continue here. So they were just talking about Fox News endorsing the far right in Canada. So they say, it represents a greater threat to Canadian democracy than the actions of any other state. And the implications of democratic backsliding in the U.S. for Canada must be reflected upon. Professor Gordon Laxer at the University of Alberta believes the forces moving the U.S. toward autocracy already exist. It is ingrained among Canadians that the U.S. is their greatest friend and will always champion democracy. That can no longer be taken for granted. Yeah, which is like a weird thing for Canadians to assume anyway about like their neighbors to the south because they I feel like they always looked at us as like a backwater with a bunch of guns anyway, so. Yeah. Now, I, I'm just trying to, I guess, understand where the political... Because the, the, the header of this is like foreign policy held hostage by political polarization. But they point out two instances of like really, you know, heinous behavior on the global stage by both parties. I mean, you know, I think they've got Trump in their focus more than anything because, you know, he stoked the trade war, the China virus thing that he was peddling. I mean, dude, is this indicating that maybe they have like a little bit more hope in the Democrats to behave better on foreign policy, or I, I'm just—I I guess I'm just trying to understand what what this section's really saying as it relates to political polarization. Well, you know, because Joe Biden is owned by China, so of course, oh, but, yeah. that's right. Beijing, Beijing, Biden, China, Joe, oh, fucking Christ. Since we're talking about Canada, I'll like I'll bring up one of the points that one of these guys made, and he was the guy who used to be an ambassador to Russia, and he was talking about you know Putin going into the Donbass, and he was saying he tried to draw parallels to us foreign um actions and, and or in interventions and he said that he was like yeah he said you know we go into syria and we go into all these other countries but we don't want to annex them that's the problem it's when you start annexing free people that's when the it's he goes that would be like us annexing toronto and going and taking it over. I was like, Jesus Christ, man, like we've, we, we, what do we occupy? One third of Syria just to like take all their resources. Yeah. I mean, maybe we don't call it the U S but it's, it, I mean, the mental gymnastics these people do to like justify themselves is pretty crazy. I mean, we literally occupy like over half the world with military bases. Like yeah. it's not a violent occupation, you know, but we get them to pay. Like Jared was talking on our live app, you know, we get Australia to pay for our bases. We still occupy Germany. We occupy Japan. We occupy the Philippines. Like, I mean, I don't know what this guy, like they, they just want to distill it down into like this really kind of oblique understanding of like what imperialism is. It's like big country invade small country and they dominate like with no recognition of like what financial domination means. And the, the U S has just been, they've, we've just, our state has just perfected that, you know, and they've perfected the optics of kind of obscuring what that actually means. Yeah, I mean, and those the are just plays like, a part in that. Those are just voluntary and benevolent partnerships with the U S military and all those countries. And if you believe otherwise, you must be believing Putin propaganda because you just need to watch more U.S. media to explain why it's not racist at all for the U.S. to have 800, 900, whatever the number is, global military bases to maintain its global network of trade. 
that works exclusively in the Global North's benefit. So just on this, because I have a specific, I guess, anecdote like Steve did. So I went down to that uh, Answer Coalition protest in D.C. last weekend, right? And we had a lot of good speakers. We had speakers like from all over the world. And we had this one, uh, this one woman from Guam come over and talk about it. And U.S. is building like a new military base in Guam now, right? They're increasing their military presence in Guam, obviously with the intention of, or for the purpose of preparing for some kind of war with China, right? That's why we have these Pacific islands like Hawaii, Guam, Marshall Islands, etc. It's, you know, to maintain our Pacific presence there with an eye towards Asia. And, you know, the people there are so they're out there protesting this all the time because, you know, they're talking about like a live fire range over one of the biggest aquifers on the island that supplies a lot of the island with water. And they're going to get fucking poisoned because we're just going to be firing like live rounds and running all of this, you know, fuel and shit like that over this. And the people are pissed. But like, think, don't think for a moment that what the U.S. does, even like with, you know, just occupying these territories, isn't fucking violent to like the, the people that live in these places. Yeah, I kind of i mean it's kind of a side point but it it relates i think you know this going back to these talks this admiral was complaining about china um doing military actions in the south china sea and building you know those islands that they use as you know he called them unsinkable naval like unsinkable aircraft carriers or some bullshit and he was like that's international water we are not going to let that happen we are going to sail our fleet directly through the <laughs> south china sea and show them that they can't and i was like oh, what the fuck <sighs> brass ones yeah it's like yeah you should try see what happens but the hogs at that the hogs at that conference probably fucking slopped it up dude oh they loved it yeah i'm sure uh, uh so yeah, another section 2 here inciting confrontation and conflict in the name of democracy Democracy is a common value of humanity and must not be used as a tool to advance geopolitical agenda or counter human development and progress. However, in order to maintain its hegemony, the U.S. has long been monopolizing the definition of, quote, democracy, instigating division and confrontation in the name of democracy, and undermining the U.N.-centered international system and the international order underpinned by international law. Since its outbreak in early 2022, the Ukraine crisis has hit the country's economy and the livelihood of its people hard. In October 2022, the World Bank released a report suggesting that Ukraine would need at least 349 billion U.S. dollars, or 1.5 times the country's total economic output for the whole year of 2021, to rebuild after the war. The U.S. saw the Ukraine crisis as a lucrative opportunity. Instead of taking any measures conducive to ending hostilities, the U.S. kept fueling the flames and made a huge fortune from the war business, including the arms industry and the energy sector. It describes its armed supplies to Ukraine as a move to support, quote, democracy versus authoritarianism. A July 22, 2022 report by Serbia's Center for Strategic Prognosis pointed out that the U.S. saw Russia's 1999 attack on Grozny, the capital of Chechnya, as a crime, but called a similar American operation of Fallujah, an Iraqi city, Iraqi city about the size of Grozny, liberation. America's so-called democracy has long been hijacked by interest groups and capital and brought instability and chaos to the world. Yeah, liberation where fucking babies are still being born with birth defects due to the use of depleted uranium rounds. Fuck. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. Like you were saying, Nick, earlier, I meant to to comment on that about the water when they're saying you're saying we're going to have like a firing range over top of the water. It's like that's lead. It's like if people yeah, don't yeah. know there's like lead in bullets and that causes all kinds of birth defects. And it's like 
our society is just like, well, yeah, capital societies are just set up in such a way to not take into account externalities like that. Like, they just don't take into account long-term effects. And if you can just, like, deny the violence that's happening, if it just happens, like, one degree removed and happens to, like, the unborn children, it's like, then you're not responsible anymore. If you can't, like, if you just tie people up in enough red tape and just bog them down that they can't hold anyone accountable, it's like, that's how this all works. Yeah, and in terms of, like, inciting confrontation, again, there's this guy that was the ambassador to Ukraine, he was, he made like two points on how we should help stop this war. The first point, and the first point I'll make is the whole thing, the whole speech he was talking about, like he didn't understand why people called him a warmonger. So his first step to stop the war was send Ukraine as many arms as they want and, <laughs> and as many as we can and just keep doing it. He was like, we haven't set them up. Yeah. Just like the fucking um, he was, Adam he was Driver beam, right? Yeah. yeah. He was like, we need to send more missiles, more everything. We need to get them to threaten Crimea because that will make Putin sue for peace. Dude. Yeah. That was the first thing. And the second thing he said was, I guess that the with the sanctions, like... um. Russia can sell oil for like 60 cents on the dollar for, you know, 60% of its value. He was like, we need to increase that to 30%. We need to cripple Russia's economy. I was like, you're going to kill like actual people. What the fuck is wrong with you? You wonder why people call you a warmonger? I mean, it was insane. And then the next point they're going to make is about Taiwan. And the dude who was talking about China was like, and he was like, and following on from my friend, the former ambassador, we need to start arming Taiwan now because and oh, making no. sure that they can protect themselves. And I was just like, fuck, this country's so fucked. Yeah, I mean, two quick points. Um, a tweet that's going around is like, uh, what was it? the US said that since Ukraine is an independent country, it will not allow Ukraine to accept like a peace deal that like is drawn up by China or something to like to end this whole conflict. Like, I think that was the framing that they said. They were like, it was like a US official and they said, like, since the U- the U- since Ukraine is an independent country, we cannot allow them to accept this peace deal that China no, your and Russia are proposing. Like, yeah. Your independency. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I mean. Like, it's so crazy. Um, but then also, like, I don't know if this is verified, of course, because this is I've only seen this on the Cointelho uh, page. Or no, Cointel Pro. There's so there's so many. It's Cointelho. Sorry, it's one of those like one pages page. on Instagram that uh, they said like apparently Taiwan has nukes now. And this was just like literally a screen cap of like an iPhone text message conversation uh, from like a drunk guy who works in national security and was at a bar. So take that for what it's worth. Um, but yeah, maybe they do. It wouldn't surprise me at all. I'll put it that way. Like it would make perfect fucking sense from the U.S.'s point of view. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think we would see something. I, I think we would see a different reaction from China in that case. I'm not saying that they would start war or anything like that, but like the diplomatic, I think the diplomatic things that came out would be much more pointed. And this dude also argued that like the only reason she's getting involved is because he wants Russia to give him Siberia. If he helps them, <laughs> just, he just like, he's just going to take what? Siberia <laughs> from them. Yeah. I was like, dude, what the f- what's in Siberia? Like, I mean, I guess there's, there, there's lots of resources, but I mean, you know, it's the same argument they always make here that like China just are doing what we have always done. Steal oh, countries right. resources, which is bullshit, but you know, I actually know Siberia had a lot of resources. I thought it was just like a bunch of barren wasteland. Oh no, it's it's a lot. Yeah, it's got a lot of yeah. It's got like gold, diamonds, lithium, coal. It's got those are our resources. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, sounds like Siberia needs some freedom. (laughs) Gee, how dare you try to trade on an equitable equitable basis with your fucking neighbor when we should be mining this and raping that fucking region? 
All right, so they go on here. They say, uh, in August 2022, then-U.S. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi made a provocative visit to China's Taiwan region in disregard of China's firm opposition and serious representations. It was a major political provocation that upgraded official contact between the U.S. and Taiwan and aggravated tensions across the Taiwan Strait. Yet Pelosi argued that the visit, quote, honors, honors American, oh, sorry, honors America's unwavering commitment to supporting Taiwan's vibrant democracy. Gross. Uh, yeah, founded on what fucking fascists running away like in their KMT and like with their tail tucked between their legs, like losers. <laughs> the crux of Pelosi's provocative visit is not about democracy, but China's sovereignty and territorial integrity. The U.S. action was by no means defending or preserving democracy, but challenging and violating China's sovereignty and territorial integrity. Pelosi's fallacy was unbearable even to some U.S. politicians. Republican Congresswoman Marjorie Greene challenged Pelosi, Pelosi, saying that, quote, Americans have had enough with a woman obsessed with her own power she's held for decades while our entire country crumbles. Enough of this fake courage defending democracy. The fact that they're quoting Marjorie Taylor Greene, what? <laughs> I, I can barely get through the quote. Like, are you shitting me here? Like, <laughs> Yeah, but it's like we heard at that talk, Nick. I mean, it's sad that, unfortunately, it's those people that are doing saying this stuff, right? Yeah. No, we're seeding like not that we're seeding it because we're trying to fight against it, but like on the popular political stage, the anti-imperialist ground in terms of discourse that gets mentioned is being seeded to these fucking lunatics that are just going to turn it all inward. Yeah, fascism. Yeah, I mean it does suck when you're like in the Biden presidency and it's only the Republicans who are saying that like you know, maybe Putin was provoked and he didn't just like wake up one day and decided to invade Ukraine because he's a madman. And they're the only ones saying maybe Marjorie, uh, maybe Pelosi should not fly over to Taiwan and provoke China. Um, you know, maybe Matt Taibbi is not wrong for pointing out that like uh, the U.S. intelligence agencies are influencing social media and driving the narratives on everything. It's like, yeah, it sucks to be in a Democratic presidency and only the Republicans and the grifters are making any sense Um but only for the wrong reasons, because they're just trying to fucking grift. Not because they actually intend to change any of those things once they get in power. Not because they fucking care. But yeah, it's just all uh, opportunism. Uh, so they go on here. The international community is seeing the U.S. approach more and more clearly. Dmitry Medvedev, the deputy chairman of the Security Council of the Russian Federation, wrote that the U.S., as a self-proclaimed, quote, high priest, has wreaked havoc around the world under, under the disguise of, quote, true democracy and used money, allies, and high weapons high-end weapons to crudely impose its will. An article published on Aram Online, an Egyptian news website, argued that, quote, liberalism and democracy had been turned into a weaponized society that the U.S. uses to destabilize other countries, delegitimize their governments, and intervene with forms of sociopolitical engineering that often backfires in drastic ways. None of it has to do with the liberalism, democracy, and the freedom the U.S. claims to promote. Chairman of the Indonesian People's Wave Party, Anas Mata, pointed out that the American cleverness is making other countries a battlefield. Anti-China sentiment and polarization in Indonesia are also America's work. Muslims must understand that. Yeah, I mean, the U.S. has definitely done that in several countries to just, like, stoke tensions anywhere and just, yeah, put the battles there before it could... And, and I love that uh, the U.S. always frames everything, too. It's like, we have to fight Russia and Ukraine because we may fight Russia, like, over here. It's like, that's literally something they've been saying in this conflict. It's like... Well, they've been saying it since the fucking Cold War. Yeah, I mean, and really before that, and it's just like it feeds into this whole mythos of like the fallen warrior. It's like, you know, uh, freedom's not free as if any fucking country is going to going to come invade us. Are you got to you got to be kidding me. We're surrounded by two huge oceans. 
in the largest military budget in the world. It's absurd. And like no one buys this freedom and democracy bullshit anymore anyway. Even like the psychos don't buy that. They know they know Iraq had nothing to do with freedom and democracy and all this shit. Nobody buys this. Actually, another shout out to uh I'm pretty sure this was the episode that Sina Romani and Justin Porter did together where they referenced the um uh new version of Red Dawn, where they had originally had like Chinese troops invading the US, uh the remake, and then they changed it in post to be North Korea. Because they knew that like they wouldn't be able to get it published in China, it would be like a major loss for the, like their market share and everything. So it was like just really funny. But um, uh, so let's see where did it leave off. Doubling down on unilateral sanctions. This is section three here. Under the pretext of human rights and democracy, the U.S. has long been using unilateral sanctions and quote long-arm jurisdiction against other countries based on its domestic laws and own values. In the past decades. The U.S. imposed unilateral sanctions and long-arm jurisdiction on Cuba, Belarus, Syria, Zimbabwe, and other countries, placed maximum pressure on countries including the DPRK, Iran, and Venezuela, and unilaterally froze 130 U.S. dollars, sorry, 130 million U.S. dollars in military aid to Egypt under the excuse of the country's lack of progress in human rights. Such actions have seriously damaged the economic development and people's livelihood in the country's concern, and jeopardized the right to life, the right to self-determination, and the right to development constituting a continual systematic and massive violation of human rights in other countries. In recent years, U.S. unilateral sanctions have been increasing and its, quote, long arm has been extending further. In order to preserve its hegemony, the U.S. has willfully harmed the interests of other countries, especially the legitimate and lawful interests of developing countries, in disregard of international law and the basic norms of international relations. An article published by the Turkish Anadolu News Agency in March 2022 argued that in the name of promoting democracy, the U.S. invaded Iraq on unsubstantiated grounds and brought immense sufferings to the local population. First, the abuse of sanctions aggravated the li- aggravated livelihood challenges. Between 1990 and 2003, severe economic sanctions by the U.S. took a heavy toll on the local economy and the well-being of the Iraqi people. According to the U.N. Food and Agriculture Organization, the hunger rate in Iraq reached a very high level as a result of the U.S. sanctions and embargo. Between 1990 and 1995 alone, 500,000 Iraqi children died of hunger in poor living conditions. That's fucking ridiculous. 500,000 children. You know, I was talking to somebody today. This is a little bit of a tangent, but, you know, just in terms of talking about socialism and trying to convert people over to, you know, at least socialism and then hopefully communism as like their ideology. And, you know, it's just always comes up as like you have to grapple with like the history of socialism and the history of socialism as taught by you know, the U.S. empire, right? So, you know, something like the Holodomor gets thrown out by, you know, the Holodomor gets thrown out, right? And, like, obviously, we have looked into the actual conditions of that and the actual policies, et cetera, et cetera. But, like, I don't think you're going to convince anybody, like, in that moment about this, right? So it's, okay, let's just let's just assume that's true, okay? And then, but you also, before we continue the conversation, you have to accept this, Iraqi. Mm-hmm. You know, Iraq losing 500,000 fucking kids because of U.S. sanctions because fucking Madeleine Albright admitted to it on TV. Okay, so you have to accept that as true. Said it was worth it. Right, right. And then we can talk about intentions of states and ideology and what people actually try to put into law and enact. And then we can start on that basis. And then maybe we can go back and talk about like why 
it's so important to the imperial project to frame it this way but like i don't know man like even if you accept this is even if you accept like the atrocities that are thrown at socialism as true you still have to accept that what the u.s has done proven is just as bad and i would say much much worse and like also just for the wrong reasons it's like one thing to be like trying to build a socialist project and like what you you fuck up trying to like erase class as a conflict and you try to like give people like their basic needs all across society and you fuck up and you like cause a famine by that it's like even if that were what happened that still means that their motivations were better to start with as opposed to like you were trying to enrich a select few people and you were trying to do it at the barrel of a gun and you still fucked up and caused like immense suffering yeah. to people like well, that's the, i mean with china since we're talking about china one of the exact examples i used was the great leap forward i mean mao dung all of these leaders admitted that there were mistakes made and it was a a tragedy what happened you know what i mean there there, people did die in a famine right but it wasn't like some intentional man-made famine it was you know trying to modernize a country exacerbated by environmental um issues that came up right and dung came along later and tried to rectify that and realized that you know we need to actually like increase the productive forces but whatever but the point is is that if people die in a modernization effort of the country, of course it's tragic and things like that. But that is very different than gas, than you know, training or busing, whatever it is, transporting Jews to gas chambers. The intention <laughs> fucking matters. In the historical oh, I'm, context matters. I'm only, I'm only giggling because I'm thinking of like the meme version of it, which is like I just fucking love having cyclical famines in both the Soviet Union and China before like the communist states are formed there having one more once those communist seeds are formed and then not having them again after that. And then it's the fault of communism that famines occurred there ever. It's like, I fucking love doing that. Like, sorry, we got a lot to get through. We only got like half an hour. We've been going long, but like, uh, let me try and like run through some of this. So yeah, left off those poor 500,000 children, which again, another atrocity of capitalism that no one fucking talks about. So second, the incessant war caused enormous civilian casualties. According to the Iraqi Ministry of Health, about 120,000 Iraqi civilians were killed between 2003, when the U.S. started the Iraq War, and 2011, when the U.S. announced its withdrawal. Third, the imposed political model failed to adapt. The U.S. forced the American-style democracy upon Iraq in disregard of the latter's national conditions, only to aggravate the political fight between different factions in the country. The The unilateral sanctions imposed by the U.S. fully demonstrate its arrogance and indifference toward humanitarianism. On February 11, 2022, President Biden signed an executive order to split in half the $7 billion U.S. sorry, $7 billion F, uh, $7 billion US dollars in Afghan central bank assets frozen in the U.S. Half of the assets were to fund financial compensations for 9/11 victims, and the other half were transferred to an account at the Federal Reserve Bank of New York. Hmm, not suspicious at all. No mm-hmm. weird. Such blatant stealing from the Afghan people has been widely condemned by the international community. Also, Russian propaganda, I'm sure. Putin. <laughs> Sindo News, yep, there it is, Russian propaganda, a news website of Indonesia, reported in March 2022 that people of Afghan descent rallied at the U.S. Embassy in Jakarta to protest the U.S. government's looting of assets from the Afghan government. The indignant protesters argued that the assets of the former Afghan government belonged to the Afghan people and should be used to aid the Afghan people who were experiencing an economic crisis. Yeah. I'll add that the U.S. fucking caused. Yeah. And like, I, I, didn't know, I didn't know that was a thing. Just real what, quick, the, like I, the, 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 there was this protest at the U.S. Embassy in Jakarta. Oh yeah, I didn't know about you the protest. Like, of course, no. we don't fucking know about that. Uh, section four, undermining democracy and in international relations. International affairs bear on the common interests of mankind and should be conducted through consultation by all countries. Yet the U.S. has never truly observed the principle of the principle of democracy in international relations. Under the pretext of quote pretext of quote multilateralism. 
and international rules and clinging to the Cold War mentality, the U.S. has exercised fake multilateralism and bloc politics, instigated division and antagonism, created bloc confrontation, and practiced unilateralism, sorry, practiced unilateralism in the name of multilateralism. Its hege- hegemonic, domineering, and bullying acts seriously impede the development of true multilateralism. Yeah. I mean, uh, just getting into, like, why I have to, like, constantly just say the word multi- multipolarism to a bunch of fucking liberals online who think that that's just some kind of, like, dog whistle for why I love Putin or some shit. It's like... <laughs> the U.S. places its domestic law above international law and adopts a selective approach to international rules applying and discarding such rules as it sees fit. Since the 1980s, the U.S. has withdrawn from 17, 17 international, sorry, important international organizations or agreements, including the U.N. Human Rights Council, WHO, UNESCO, the Paris Agreement on Climate Change, the JCPOA, Arms Trade Treaty, the, Intermedi- the Intermediate Range Nuclear Forces Treaty, and the Treaty on Open Skies. Be worried about Putin suspending fucking inspections by the U.S. on his nuclear arsenal right now. Yeah. Yep. The U.S. flagrantly violates the purposes and principles of the U.N. Charter and the basic norms governing international relations, waging wars and creating division and conflict across the world. Throughout its history of 240-plus years, the U.S. has been at peace for only 16 years. Wow, dude. (laughs) It's fucking staggering. I mean, it's one of those stats where, like, you know it to be true, but when it's put out like that, it's like, man, holy fuck. So much, like, infographic material in this document here. Yeah. It is indeed the most belligerent country in the world history. Since the end of World War II, the U.S. has waged or participated in many wars overseas, including the Korean War, the Vietnam War, the war in Afghanistan, and the Iraq War, which caused immense civilian, sorry, civilian casualties and property losses, as well as humanitarian catastrophes. Since 2001, the wars and military operations in the, that the U.S. launched in the name of fighting terrorism have killed more than 900,000 people, including some 335,000 civilians, injured millions, and displaced tens of millions paying no heed to the United Nations Convention on the Law of the Sea and Principles of International Law, or to the democratic rights of Asia-Pacific countries and Pacific Island countries in regional international affairs, the U.S. has emboldened Japan by expressly supporting its decision to discharge the nuclear wastewater from Fukushima, even though the government of Japan has not fully consulted stakeholders and relevant international agencies on the disposal, not yet provided sufficient scientific and factual grounds for its behavior, and not yet address the legitimate concerns of the international community. On the other hand, the U.S. administration, citing, quote, radionuclide contamination, banned the import of Japanese food and agricultural products from areas around Fukushima, exposing the hypocrisy of typical U.S.-style double standards. You know, it must be bad if the U.S. is saying no to the food because of the shit that we put in ours on a daily fucking basis. Oh, my God, dude, yeah. I really think about that, like, working in a grocery store and sees, like, all the produce that I handle... And how much I know that we tolerate pesticides, even in things that are called "quote unquote" organic. Those those just don't include like non-persistent pesticides. Like there are still pesticides on those. And I mean, you do. To be fair enough, you get a lot of produce from other countries, and then they have to abide by the same standards. But like, even those other countries will have separate fields where they grow stuff that is for U.S. consumption because the the standards are just lax compared to other countries. Yeah. Like it's really really fucked up. Like. I can only speak because I know a little bit about Europe, but Europe won't eat a lot of the shit that we put out. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. I mean, you can look it up on TikTok. Like, there's some people who live in Europe and they start talking about, like, what they get in the U.S. and they like, how they separate things. Like, there'll be food plants in Europe and they say, oh, no, once it goes over here, it's only for the U.S. Because only those food. guys get those chemicals. Like, <laughs> yeah. it's terrible, dude. <laughs> 
Uh, let's see where I left off here. Advancing the Cold War mentality in the South Pacific region, the U.S. has ganged up with the U.K. and Australia to put together AUKUS, a racist clique, and pledged to help Australia build at least eight nuclear submarines together with the U.K. The move constitutes a serious violation of the principles of the Treaty on the Non-Proliferation of Nuclear Weapons and the South Pacific Nuclear-Free Zone Treaty. Treating a reckless, sorry, treading a reckless line on the brink of nuclear proliferation and causing tremendous risks and creating tremendous risks. It has also opened the Pandora's box of regional arms race, casting a shadow over regional peace, security, and stability. Prior to this, the ninth, I was just going to say, now we're getting to this place that I came here for the racist clique in the Pandora's box. <laughs> like they're building up to the fucking finish line here, I think. I mean, they do have some good metaphors. Like, I'm still remembering the fucking money being the breast milk of politics. Like, that's a great yeah. one. <laughs> uh, let's see. Prior to the ninth summit of the Americas in June 2022, Julio Yao, a Panamanian expert on international issues, wrote in local media that today's U.S. is an absolute renegade of international law and the most genuinely authentic personification of the use of brute force in international relations. The U.S. is the only country that has not signed or ratified any human rights treaty and is not a party to the United Nations Convention on the Law of the Sea. It is the only country that does not ban secret biological weapons with more than 200 laboratories outside its borders. And how many of those are in Ukraine that the U.S. denied and then admitted to? <laughs> Again, another talking point that only right-wingers would talk about and then people fucking started admitting to it. So weird. Like... So fucking uh, crazy. Again, and it's like the liberals hate us anyway, so fuck them. But it's still, it's just again, I'll reiterate it again because I just fucking hate being in this position where I have to like spout right wing talking points. I know, despite hating those motherfuckers like more than anyone, uh, just drives yeah. me nuts. They're no, still I mean, wrong it, about it, everything. It, I'm just saying, like it goes back to like what we said about like Taibi. It's like you could be right, but for the wrong reasons. Yeah, yeah, you're you're again saying the right thing out of opportunism because you have no intention of acting on it yeah. or, or no ability to. <clears throat> the only thing the, that the U.S. intends to do with the summit of the Americas is to involve Latin America and the Caribbean in the war in Ukraine and to divide and weaken them. In August 2022, a South China Morning Post article noted that the so-called, quote, democracies of the U.S. and the West have been relentlessly chipping away at the foundations of international rules and exploiting them when it's convenient. While the U.S. and the West denounce Russia's, quote, invasion of Ukraine, they forget their, ser their serial interventions, subversions, and interference across the globe. What the U.S. did has smashed up the world economy, thereby exposing more middle-income countries to debt crises. When the big powers are selective in following the rules they wrote, the whole system loses credibility. Based. Yeah. Uh, section 5. Foisting a trumped-up narrative of, quote, democracy versus authoritarianism. Harboring a Cold War mentality, a hegemonic logic, in a preference for black politics, the U.S. administration has framed a narrative of, quote, democracy versus authoritarianism and labeled countries as, quote, autocracies, with a view to using ideology and values as a tool to suppress other countries and advance its own geostrategy, geostrategy under the disguise of democracy. In 2021, the U.S. held the first, quote, summit for democracy, attempting to divide the international community into, into so-called, quote, democratic and undemocratic camps by openly drawing an ideological line. The move drew questions extensively, uh, including from within the U.S. Both Foreign Affairs and the Diplomat carried articles criticizing the summit as chasing the wrong goal, not only failing to achieve unity among democratic countries, but also drawing criticism for the representation issue. The U.S. has long lacked a set goal in its promotion of democracy around the world, and has been slow in following up its rhetoric. When democracy in the U.S. is in such a mess, holding a democracy summit cannot boost democracy around the world, 
but more likely create a greater geopolitical crisis. Hitoshi Tanaka, chairman of the Institute for International Strategy of Japan, pointed out that the U.S. has been imposing democracy and on, on other sorry imposing democracy on other countries, advancing the quote democracy versus authoritarianism campaign, and expanding global division. Japan should not blindly follow suit. To brand oneself as a democracy while others as autocracies is in itself an act contrary to democracy. The so-called so-called quote democracy versus authoritarianism narrative does not reflect the realities of today's world, nor is it in line with the trend of the times. Belarus One, state television uh, station of Belarus, commented that the list of participants to the summit was clearly based on the U.S. standard of, quote, freedom. But the question was, how could the U.S. believe that it could monopolize the definition and interpretation of democracy and tell others what democracy should look like? Singapore's Straits Times carried a column that said the U.S. must realize that, the American, democ- that American democracy has lost its former luster and is no longer the gold standard. There is no fixed model of democracy, and the U.S. no longer has an absolute say over what democracy means. That is the truth. The U.S. should pragmatically reassess its diplomatic methods and focus on cooperation instead of confrontation. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, so just real quick, plug for our episode, because we the intervention did one back in like July, just after Biden's um, 22 summit. And we just did like an article reading from one of these like liberal publications. So we talk about it there if you want a refresher on it. But yeah, I mean, Mike, it was just like you were saying earlier with this, you know, this last sentence here that the U.S. should pragmatically reassess. Like they're trying to pull us back off the ledge. Like (laughs) they're really like just like, guys, stop. It's you've always been bad, but it's gotten way worse now. (laughs) And this whole thing is that um that like uh, old lady with the walker being helped by the handler, like to, to being you know on the sidewalk. She's like, and the U.S. is going like, oh, we're the freest country of the world. Oh, we're running the whole show. And then like the character is <laughs> yeah. like, yeah, let's get you let's back get to you bed. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay. So we're we're almost at the conclusion here. We'll wrap it up soon. So despite unprecedentedly low un- unprecedentedly low ratings of U.S. democracy at home and abroad, <laughs> the famous U.S. democracy. <laughs> <laughs> Um, that's a good one, though. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the failing U.S. Times. <laughs> Despite unprecedented low ratings of d- U.S. democracy at home and abroad, the country's hysteria to, U- to export U.S.-style democracy and values continues unabated. The U.S. has not only cobbled together values-based alliances such as AUKUS and the Quad and Five Eyes. What's the, what's the Quad? The Quad I is I know like, the quad. I think it's an alliance with, I think it might be Japan... India, it's some fucking like South Pacific alliance, mm. anti-China alliance. I'm already seeing some like quad slash uh, squad cross- crossover memes. Yeah, I have to mix them. All right, but it can, to continue, but also attempted to disrupt and undermine normal international cooperation in the in economy, trade, science, technology, culture, and people-to-people exchanges by drawing ideological lines and trumpeting the Cold War mentality. Al Jazeera observed that the U.S. insistence on holding a democracy summit and acting as a global democratic leader, even when trust in its own democratic democratic system is declining, has raised widespread suspicion. James Goldgeier, professor of international relations at American University, said the U.S. has lost its credibility and that its administration should hold the domestic democracy summit to focus on injustice and inequality, including issues such as voting rights and disinformation. Emma Ashford, uh, sorry, Emma Ashford, senior fellow at the Atlantic Council, questioned how can the U.S. spread democracy or act as an example for others if it barely has a functioning democracy at home. 
the South China Morning Post pointed out that the summit reflected two myths about U.S. democracy. First, global advance of democracy since the end of the Cold War is backsliding, and it needs the U.S. to reverse it. Second, the U.S. is the most important democracy in the world, and its global leadership is paramount for other countries. These two myths completely ignore the democratic backsliding in the U.S., the rejection of, over, of the overwhelming, sorry, overwhelming majority of countries to being kidnapped by the hypocritical quote, concept of democracy of the U.S., and the strong desire of developing countries to grow their economies and raise living standards. And then we have the uh, conclusion here. So they say, democracy is humanity's common value. However, there is no single model of political system that is applicable to all countries in the world. Right? There's no right way to do socialism everywhere. Conditions are different. Human civilization, if compared to a garden, should be a diverse place in which democracy in different countries blooms like a hundred flowers. The U.S. has American-style democracy, so not. China has Chinese-style democracy. Wasn't that a Guns N' Roses album? album? <laughs> Chinese, Chinese democracy. democracy? Yeah, something like that. Um, and other countries have their own unique models of dem- democracy that suit their respective national conditions. It should be up to the people of a country to judge whether the country is democratic or not and how to better promote democracy in their country. The few self-righteous countries have no, yeah, the few self-righteous countries have no right to point fingers. Yeah. Based. I like that because they're like, you know, there's only a few people that are the problem children in this whole scenario, right? Like the rest of the world, we're just trying to get on and live our lives in peace. And, but there's a few self-righteous assholes that are fucking it up for everyone. Yeah. Those who have many flaws themselves have little credibility to lecture others. Attempts to undermine others for one's own profit and destabilize the world must be unanimously opposed. A black and white division of countries as democratic or authoritarianism, or sorry, as democratic or authoritarian, is both anachronistic and arbitrary. What our world needs today is not to stoke division in the name of democracy and, and pursue de facto supremacy, supremacy-oriented unilateralism, but to strengthen solidarity and cooperation and uphold true multilateralism on the basis of the purposes and principles of the UN Charter. What our world needs today is not to interfere in other countries' internal affairs under the guise of democracy, but to advocate genuine democracy reject pseudo-democracy, and jointly promote greater democracy in international relations. What our world needs today is not a, quote, summit for democracy that hypes up confrontation and contributes nothing to the collective response to global challenges, but a conference of solidarity that focuses on taking real actions to solve prominent global challenges. Freedom, democracy, and human rights are the common pursuit of humanity and the values that, sorry, and values that the Communist Party of China always pursues. China commits to and advances whole process people's democracy and puts into action the principle of people running the country in the CPC's exercise of national governance in specific and concrete ways. China stands ready to strengthen strengthen exchanges and mutual learning with other countries on the issue of democracy, advocate humanity's common values of peace, development, equity, justice, democracy, and freedom, promote greater democracy in international relations, and make new and greater contributions to human progress. And before any libs that happen to be listening, you know, just reject China stating that they have democracy out of hand, go read something about China outside of something printed in the U.S. or at least the U.S. mainstream. Go read fucking Xi's um, governance of China. Go read some of their speeches. Go read about their structure of governance. Just do something like that before you like get into get your fucking get into a little bit of a rage here because they do have mechanisms of democracy and they are vastly superior to our faux suedo democracy i mean even just like read some news about like some like find a boring article about like some process going on in the chinese government 
from not even the Chinese state media, but maybe like a third party country that is not too influenced by the US, like some other global south country that would be reporting on China's uh, government or something. Translate it if you have to, and then just read it and see if it's like as histrionic and like fucking pearl clutching as the US where they say that like President Z is clutching power for the 854th time. He somehow still doesn't have enough. Or if it's just like very boring and people are just like voting on stuff at the local level and it gets carried up. It's like there are ways that these things work and it's like actually provable. And believe it or not, it's not run by money in in, the, in that country, at least. So I don't know. I mean, the whole thing here at the end, especially, it seems like their approach again is just that very like caretakery, like gentle, like fatherly, like it almost sounds like Confucius, like where you just like lay back and like let your enemy tire themselves out or whatever because they just keep lashing out in every direction because they their strategy is not working for them and they know nothing else but to just keep being aggressive so yeah and like notice they're not saying that they need to come over and impose chinese style democracy to fix it yeah yeah <laughs> yep. <laughs> it's a pretty key difference <sighs> cool all right well i mean we got through the whole thing yeah it was about like almost exactly two hours Shit, that was cool yeah I mean, I fucking love China for giving us podcast material. Thank you guys for the uh, Ministry of Foreign Affairs. Keep <laughs> Appreciate coming. it. Keep them coming. <laughs> cool. Um, cool. Right, yeah, I can't wait to this again. Me. This is like probably one of the most positive reactor episodes we did. All the rest of these were for like fucking Nick Fuentes. So this is better. <laughs> I like this. Yeah. No, I mean, we're just spreading the good word. So cool. All right. Can't wait to do it again. See All everyone right, later. Bye.